Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Talking Tolkien. Today, we are going to be discussing the Two Towers movie, which we just watched because we have finished the book, The Two Towers. Now, as always, we're going to start off with Katie, who's going to talk about what happened on this day in Middle Earth, as well as give us Elvish word of the day. I don't know if there's an Elvish word for movie, but I'm sure she has something that's pretty thematic. <laughs> Normally, we go over to Chase, who catches us up on the events of last week, but I think in this case... Probably going to skip that. I don't know, Chase, do you want to talk about the events? Don't of... skip me. Okay, never mind. I got never stuff mind. I could say. All right. Sorry. I thought since we had finished the book, but all right. So uh, I'm, I'm John, everyone. I'm Katie. And I'm Chase. Uh, so uh, today is Thursday, June 2nd. Now, it's um, June. tomorrow is my birthday, but Katie, what happened on this day? <laughs> yeah. So on this day in Middle Earth, tomorrow is John's birthday. Happy birthday tomorrow, John. Yay. Now I have the happy birthday song from the White Album stuck in my head. That's a good song to have stuck in your head. But in more important news, (laughs) I was hoping to get a reaction out of that. Okay, maybe not. Uh, So I'm going to back it up a couple days as I usually do. What could be be more important than me turning the same age of Jim Morrison and Amy Winehouse? (laughs) Honestly, like birthdays by this point in your life are not very important. They really aren't. But anyway, uh, on May 29th, uh, the company realizes that Gandalf is missing, and this is like happening back in in The Hobbit. Uh, as we we know, of course, that wizards are fickle creatures, and particularly wizards of the Gandalf persuasion. And uh, <laughs> he tends to go off and do things when he needs to do things. And yeah, uh, the next day on the thirtieth, however. Gandalf returns and keeps the trolls arguing. Oh, yeah. So yeah, that, yeah, 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 this was that whole episode with the trolls in, in The Hobbit. And then, let's see, today on June 2nd, uh, the company, again, Bilbo and his dwarf friends, are going into the woods, and they're currently going east towards Rivendell. Um, and they're in the woods, and um, yeah, that's pretty much it. All right. Well, do you have a word for us today? I do. Uh, alas, there is no word for movie, really, as Obviously. we... <laughs> Sorry, guys. Uh, the word that I picked, however, is uh, one of the things that I associate very much with the two towers, both the book and the movie. And I chose the Sindarin word. It is a noun. And I'm going to say the word and then see if you guys could guess what it means, perhaps, maybe. I don't know. And I'll give you two, actually. I'll give you the word and then a variation of it. So first, the the word, once again, in Sindarin, and again, I believe I'm pronouncing it correctly, is Rof. What? <laughs> what? Repeat that. That went by really fast. Rof. Rof? Yeah, kind of. And then its variation I will give you, because it may prod you a little bit, is Rohir. Rohir? Uh, all right. So I was going to joke and guess that it meant brevity, <laughs> because it reminds you of the two towers, but clearly it means horse. Yes, indeed. It means horse. And, yes. And then, of course, its variation that I gave you, Rohir, is horse lord or knight. Yeah. Hmm. Speaking oh, of, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense, yeah. Speaking of horse, I was a little bit behind on Bob's Burgers and just watched the episode where Tina goes to horse camp. It was amazing. I haven't seen that episode, so I definitely need to watch it. You need to get on that. Anyway, Chase, you want to catch us up with what we talked about last week? Oh, yeah, the book ended. 
That's literally, that's the fuss <laughs> you were making? That's all you have? <laughs> that's all I have. How did the book end? Okay. Sam thought Frodo was dead. Mm-hmm. He took the ring and was like, well, I'm the last one going on this mission. And right when he's about to, you know, set off towards Mordor and get it taken care of, some orcs show up and bring about a revelation to Sam that, that Frodo isn't actually dead. He's just paralyzed from the poison that Shelob had. Right. And then he sets off after them. Yeah. That's it. And it's actually pretty important that we recapped that because did we see any of that in the Two Towers movie? Nope. 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 Nopeity nope. And we should certainly discuss that when... Uh... Yes. Uh, so I was making these these um, comments kind of throughout us recording the Two Towers, trying to synchronize the timelines between Frodo and Sam and everybody else mm-hmm. and talking about how they do affect it in the movie a little bit. But right off the get-go, the big difference in the Two Towers movie and the books is, you know, for obvious purposes of pacing, they take what is two serial books and chop them up and interlay them as stories that cut back and forth between each other. Right. Um, you know, the the other movie that comes immediately to mind that's based on a book that does the same thing is Cloud Atlas. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, the book is kind of these nesting dolls where you read one half of one book, then half of the next, then half of the next, you know, and then you get to the final book and you read the end of the previous one, then the end of the one before that. Um, and that just doesn't work as a movie. And likewise, Two Towers would not work as a movie if you filmed it directly as it is in the book. Well, and also, right. as a, I mean, the way books are, the way you feel kind of like emotionally during a book comes in waves and can be split up over like, basically what I'm getting at is, emotionally speaking, the Two Towers wouldn't nearly be near as effective mm-hmm. if it had been like that because what's a interesting payoff of combining everything together into one is you have a bunch of amazing emotional bits for me while reading the book mm-hmm. that took me, you know, several months to get to all happened at once yeah, and made me feel very emotional all at once, whereas it probably would have been a little bit deadened. And it's incredibly powerful, I think. I, I, I really do think the timeline of the Two Towers movie is successful and powerful in the way that it's kind of refigured, reconfigured. Yeah, and the interesting thing about it is it ends up only being about 50% of the content of the two towers mm-hmm. because for kind of purposes oh, of yeah. of pacing, you know, what a movie requires, what a movie required in 2002, which is very different from what a movie requires now. And in fact, mm-hmm. a lot of what a movie requires now is because of what the two towers did. Um, but, you know, the big thing is Fred and Sam don't even get to the stairs. The last thing we do with Frodo and Sam is they're released from Faramir. And yeah. likewise, um, Merry and Pippin are off doing their, doing their own thing this entire movie. They never reunite with uh, Aragorn and Gimli and Legolas. And Helm's Deep, which is about a third to a half of the way through the Two Towers book, book one, is the big crowning end you know of the two towers movie um that said it doesn't it doesn't feel like you know with the hobbit where it's like hey we're gonna cut this in 
to so many things and stretch it out. Like it doesn't feel like we're getting a half of a book like it did with Hobbit movies. Right. Because there's still so much content there and so many people to introduce. And yeah. I think one of the re- really great plus sides of that is we get to spend more time with with characters who will become important in, in Return of the King who we just didn't get to spend a lot of time with in The Two Towers. I think most notably Eowyn. Yes. And additionally, I think and we, we also get a bit more with Arwen in the Two Towers movie, which, again, uh, her character was kind of uh, bumped up a bit in the films, which and, and yeah. Eowyn's as well, which I do appreciate. Um, I think it all comes back to uh, with the Lord of the Rings movies. Again, you know, uh, some it, the content that we're given is mostly pretty faithful to the books, if maybe taking the most important pieces here and there. Uh, and it's the reason for it, of course, is to tell this main central story of Frodo. That's the most important focal point of the movies, I think. And we do get, that's not to say that there isn't enough emphasis put on also Aragorn's whole coming to be as he will be. Um, but just that everything is kind of streamlined and made to really support that central story more. I yeah, think. And, yeah. They and, make that more the spine right. than anything else. And right. then everything. I mean, I guess the word here is streamlined mm-hmm. in a way that um, I, I have this. There's something that I, I was noting while I was watching the movie. And it's kind of something that's come up in my thoughts as of late. But The Two Towers as a movie, even though this is technically part two of mm-hmm. a bigger story, mm-hmm. is my favorite out of all these movies and I'll go ahead and say that like I've seen Fellowship of the Ring and Two Towers and Return of the King and The Hobbit before we started recording this and even before then The Two Towers was my favorite Yeah. primarily because I got this feeling even though if I didn't know the book it just felt so right I got more of an emotional uplift from that one primarily because they're so halfway in their journey but seeing yeah. it now with the knowledge of the book I realize even more how much I love it a little bit more Yeah. because now I get how even more streamlined it is and it really harkens back to the themes of the book very yeah. nicely. Yeah. There was no sophomore slump for the Two Towers movie. And yeah. honestly, it, it, I mean, the thing I was noting while watching it was like how I tend to actually like in trilogies and stuff like that, I tend to like the second movie the most. Mm-hmm. Empire and I've Strikes Back. About Empire Strikes Back, The Dark Knight. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of other examples right now and I'm failing. But, uh, but, but anyway, the point being that like they – there was a feeling in this that you, you know that there's still more to come yet right now i don't know the, the movie just has you forgot this, like, the uh the what oh sorry go ahead well i was just saying like how hope is hope is coming to them when they have a view of their end goal whereas in the fellowship of the ring it just kind of ends whereas this one even the book kind of ends in a way where you're like oh i i, I have to read this next book now where yep. Fellowship of the Ring kind of ended, I was like, well, I can wait. Whereas this is like, no, 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 I really need, I want to get, I want to see the end of this. <laughs> um, so you but, forgot the best middle movie of all time, which is Star Wars 2 Attack of the Clones. <laughs> Funny enough, the worst one <laughs> out of all the Star Wars movies. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not justifying um, that. With a response. So the thing that we do see in, in the two towers, it's a big evolution, I think, in terms of Peter Jackson's, approach to Tolkien because the Fellowship of the Ring movie was fairly um, 
dedicated to its source material and really the only sin it, it committed is the sin of omission you know we don't have the 17 year period between when Frodo finds the ring and Gandalf comes back we don't have Glorfindel we don't have Tom Bombadil, Bombadil there, things yeah. are removed mm-hmm. nothing is not really I mean certain characters are you know Arwen takes the place of Glorfindel and becomes more important but there's nothing that's really ex novo we do begin to get that in the two towers and sometimes that is to the spirit of the work if not necessarily to um, the word of it and sometimes it just comes off as entirely unnecessary and a little bit of an aberration and you know when we were when we were recording our commentary for this chase you said it's kind of like what you see in um, Return of the Jedi. Yes. Yeah. Wait, wait. Which is, Return of the Jedi or Empire Strikes Back of like, wait, what What do you mean by? Well, you know, like Return of the Jedi is still at its core a good movie, but you start to see like weird quirks, like oh, cute teddy yeah. bears and stuff that doesn't fit in. Well, also and the movie as has, the movies go. Also, the, also Return of the Jedi has like four climaxes happening at the exact same time. And they don't quite mesh as well as in Empire Strikes Back when you had two. And then the similar thing with Two Towers is they at least f- focus in Helm's Deep is the big important climax. Mm-hmm. And then it goes, goes back to Frodo and Sam. But it, but the but the tension of Frodo and Sam is the fact that they've got the ring, that but it only comes back when that's important. So it's like, again, back to synthesis. Mm-hmm. Well, but I mean, I guess what I'm talking about and using your metaphor is you start to see Peter Jackson things that he loves that oh, yeah, he can't yeah. he can't rein in. So this mm-hmm. is where we get, and you know, this shot is iconic. And when you when I first saw it in the theater, it gave me chills. But that weird shot where Legolas like grabs a horse and swings it's onto like, it while yeah. it is galloping, which is okay by itself. But then we yeah. also get that shot, which is also very badass when you see it when you're a 13 year old where Legolas <laughs> takes an Urukai shield and turns it into a skateboard and is sniping people from it. That is a yeah. pretty cool shot. But all of these things that start to add together turn Legolas into this kind of goofy, extreme Ridiculous. athlete. And of course this this is is only gets greater and greater and it's um audacity because in Return of the King there's the bit where he slides down the trunk of the Mumikil and then in the Hobbit movies as we previously discussed Legolas is literally jumping on falling rocks and like levitating defying gravity yeah 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 and I will those, spare you by not singing that song uh, thanks um yeah <laughs> and th- those moments are things that I tend to be able to look them over in Two Towers and in Return of the King they they make me cringe ever so slightly, but they they don't ever seem quite as out outright just offensive to me <laughs> as, well, as they as they turned to in in the Hobbit movies. But yeah, those those are those are kind they're they're like strange outliers. Like they 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 feel like they don't quite belong. I mean, I would even say that I actually have been thinking about this ever since we watched the movie. I almost like feel like there should be a terminology for this because. Peter Jackson's not the only one who suffered for this. I can actually think of multiple filmmakers who have done this, and mm-hmm. it's their own sort of eccentricities that show up in that. I mean, obviously, what you said with George Lucas, uh, Empire Strikes Back's great, but you see the little tendrils in it, and then Return of the Jedi, a little bit more, but it's still a good movie, and then the prequels, just off the wall. But you can also see, for example, with um, Steven Spielberg, with Indiana Jones. Yep. Um, however, the flip side of that is Last Crusade is my favorite. Perfect. 
from that series. Yeah, it's a perfect movie. Mm-hmm. But there are little things in there, the humor and aspect like that, that come to be kind of a little bit more festering aspects of Kino Crystal Skull. Mm-hmm. And um, Christopher Nolan is an example of that as well with the Dark Knight trilogy, whereas the Dark Knight is pretty solid. But there's these little overly pretentious things in the Dark Knight. Yeah. They're not as big, but then become very big in the third one. And I yeah. imagine if there was a fourth one, it'd become unbearable. Just, you just know? ostentatious. Yeah. Um, or it's, you know, it's like watching a J.J. Abrams movie and there's a lens flare. And, you know, when you're watching it and you're 13, it's great because you don't have this kind of voice on your shoulder that's always kind of analyzing the film as a text. But then when you get to, you know, the place that we're in, we're all older we're all kind of very seriously devoted to consumption and study of media like you watch it and these things just kind of stand out and you just are apologizing i'm 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 sorry ronald that <laughs> legolas had to surf down a set of stairs on a shield and yeah <laughs> i mean i'd like to that scene is that ultimately that shot is fine to me because I know how bad it gets later on. Yeah, yeah. watching it again it was like this is fine because I know it gets worse. <laughs> this is subtle. In well, comparison. and the the great thing about what they did with that scene is they took this great bit that's this element in the Battle of Helm's Deep, which is that battle between or not the battle but the contest between Gimli and Legolas, mm-hmm. and they like really took that and they made it very fun in a way that was endearing to the characters and. You know, it provided kind of a through line for them to keep popping up in this battle because that mm-hmm. battle was so, I mean, you haven't seen anything quite like it on screen. Before, you know, it was such a revolutionary thing to watch. And there's so many actors who were taking part in the battle. And it gave a reason for Legolas and Gimli to like the, the camera to go back to them for us to be invested in their storylines. Well, yeah. it's it's developing characters through action where you're you're getting like basically they're doing character stuff wrapped up within action scenes. Well, at the so same time, it. giving you awesome shots of them like slicing pe- orcs in two and, mm-hmm. and, and and that's what I think Peter Jackson was the most successful at was taking the essence of the character and exploring it mm-hmm. in a way that wasn't provided for in the text. Because for as lengthy as as Tolkien likes to be, a lot of his length is in description and not action. So there's not necessarily a whole bunch that you can immediately translate. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the the other thing is within that as well that you could pull out of that is it's something that the two towers does that none of these other movies did and to some like Fellowship of the Ring and to in Return of the King that's not really a problem because they're very kind of different stories but two towers feels like it is jumping genres constantly and it's a good thing like it's a good thing because it keeps you invested interesting where like Frodo and and it's the same thing in the kind of the book a little bit, but it's even more amplified in the in the movie. But you know, Frodo, Sam, and Gollum is this really kind of like like psychological thriller asp or psychological warfare at each other almost mm-hmm, like this mm-hmm. like really mental game thing going on. And then you cut to um, Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli, and it starts off almost like a detective. Like they're just they're like a ra- a chase, then it becomes kind of like a detective story, mm-hmm. and then it becomes like a political thing, and then it becomes an action movie. Yep. But then it becomes also within that action movie, kind of a comedy, and it 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 doesn't become one more than the other at any given time. But it's that moment of like this isn't just fantasy; this is hybrid, in ways that I think the reason why the Lord of the Rings series as a movies stand out in cinematic history is because they kind of say these fantasy movies 
don't have to be just straight up fantasy movies. They can be hybrids of all this stuff. Like these genre movies can be hybrids. Well, I mean, just like the book. Just like the yeah. book, yeah. Ultimately, huh. comes back to that. So, I mean, the flip side of what I said about exploring the characters is like sometimes they get it wrong. Uh, in this case, very clearly, like there's just character assassination for Faramir. That's and that's Ooh, yeah. that's my yeah. largest complaint about the Two Towers movie is the complete disregard for the character of Faramir and. It, the only purpose it serves really is to kind of delay Frodo, Sam, and Gollum from getting to the stair. That's really the only point. It just draws out that that bit of them with Faramir, but it and 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 you know causes us to have this. I mean, it does result in some pretty great character moments for Sam. Uh, however, I I I can't I just can't justify that with. Faramir being completely out of character. What, what's really interesting to me about it is, okay, so you don't end up with Frodo and Sam and Gollum climbing the steps in this movie. They don't go past uh, Minas Morgul. So you take a lot of those moments and put them into other parts of the two towers, which I'm not opposed to because it maintains a lot of the spirit. Mm-hmm. What is weird is the way that they like invented this false narrative you know not only is Faramir a lot more distrustful and kind of vengeful than he is in the book but Faramir insists on taking them to uh, Minas Tirith and then there's this whole battle in Osgiliath where Frodo and Sam and Gollum get caught and then Frodo uh, you know the, na- uh, the the witch king of Angmar is there and Frodo is going to him as happened instead in Two Towers when they were crossing uh, Minas uh, Minas Morgul, uh, you know, they're going to exp- encounter Minas Morgul in Return of the King because they don't cut that section out of the story, but they just take this element of it and transpose it into this this fictional thing. And uh, you know, it, it's okay. I, I don't like that Frodo and Sam go to Asgeliath because there's no real reason for it. I kind of like watching just like the building porn of seeing that they built Asgeliath though. That was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And <laughs> Fro- I mean, Sam has an, some nice character moments in defending Frodo and that and then weirdly then they leave us Gilead and it's at the end of the movie when Frodo and Sam are having their discussion about hey someday they're gonna talk about us you know that that bit that made us all just cry um, <laughs> yeah and weirdly yeah. in the book when they're having that discussion they're like exhausted and it's at a really tense dark like very bad time for them whereas in the movie they're like walking through the forest and they've left us Gilead and they have some food from Faramir and they look kind of happy and peaceful so it it feels different. Yeah, I, I still I still found that the conversation affected me, but in a very different way. Like mm-hmm. it's it's still like the words. It's like almost like the words are still so damn good, especially when they're coming out of the mouths of these characters. Mm-hmm. That it'd be good no matter where it was at. Mm-hmm. It just seems like because I especially know the I already in my head know the changes made to this the Kirith Ungol stuff already mm-hmm. for Return of the King. I'm already criticizing in my head and I've not seen the movie yet. And I need to yeah. hold off on that because whereas I don't know, I, I just, I've been sitting here thinking about like how they probably could have made the Faramir stuff better. Well, because I feel like I think the stuff taking to Os Gilead, I feel like ultimately that's fine. I just feel like their way of justifying it was kind of crappy. And that's the Faramir stuff. It'd be more interesting if Faramir kind of stayed the same way that he was where he's still like, reaction but like i don't care about the ring but almost like he has a sense of but he's like but i still have 
my dad is also my boss well, and aspect see, of it in or the something. book in the book that's exactly how it yeah. is you know faramir says well you know i don't really have ultimate authority so you're going to have to go to the city and you know well he says you know you you have x amount of time what was it like a year that you have free passage here mm-hmm. but but you'll need to go a year in one city. day yeah, a year and one day. But you'll need to go to the city to see my father because I don't have ultimate authority here. And instead, in the movie, we get this uh, complete bastardization of uh, that line, a chance for Faramir, captain of Gondor, to show his quality. Because in the movie, it's completely dark. And, um, you know, F- Faramir desires to take the ring. In the book, he wants no part of it. Well, and also, this is absolutely unfair but in the extended version, <laughs> they flesh that out a little bit more, and it becomes. And now that I remember this aspect of it, it becomes even worse because him, the, him and Boromir have a really terrible confrontation, like a really bad relationship. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, their relationship's okay. It's mostly the relationship with their father, who's kind of like seeding a lot of bad vibes <laughs> between them. Yeah. So it doesn't help. It just. I feel like when they're writing the screenplay, they had they wanted more tension in the spot, and they went with, well, let's just make Faramir a lot more like his brother, instead of, well, let's make it that Faramir has this more looming threat over him that he needs to be taken care of. It, but I don't. yeah, and at the end of the day, that's understandable because you know, book two of the Two Towers, there's not really a present enemy. The conflict is internal, mm-hmm. and yeah. When the rest of the movie is people going off to battle, it's very difficult to have Fredo and Sam and Gollum just walking. Yeah. And also kind of, you know, they did cut Shelob from this movie. But the thing is, that actually does take place chronologically after everything we read in book one. So in terms of flipping back and forth between the narrative, what they're doing is kind of true to the chronology of the story. Yeah, it makes sense for the chronology of the movies, I, I agree. Well, and even if it wasn't, I think it would probably be best to save that for the third movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. But yeah, and 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 I I do agree with what with what you said there that, you know, that there needs to be some kind of negative outside pressure against Frodo, Sam and Gollum. Um I just think it's vastly unfortunate that it had to come at the expense of Faramir's character. I mean, is that even worse than let's just straight up make a character out of nowhere who's pursuing them, who probably, you know, (laughs) they're, they're, we have witnessed within this franchise worse ways of yeah. handling that. I mean, yeah, so, it, it got worse. To be fair, <laughs> this still remains my biggest complaint of that movie. Yeah. And for the most part, it kind end- of my only complaint, really. It, it ends up okay. Well, I have another complaint oh, okay. that I'd like to I discuss. I want to hear your but, other complaint. Uh, I mean, it, it, it ends up being okay. Faramir's story does come around in, you know, eventually. And again, we'll get to that quite a bit later when we discuss Return of the King. But... um. Yeah, that's 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 my largest complaint for the two towers. I gotta movie. know your other one. My second one, well, I I made note of it when we were doing our audio commentary. My second one is this whole death, quote unquote, death of Aragorn thing that happens oh, with yeah. you know we we have this warg battle with that shot that we had referenced earlier of Legolas like swinging up onto the horse, which I mean looked super cool. Again, yeah, when I was thirteen, I loved it, uh, <laughs> and. And then we have this battle that uh, with as as the uh, the people of Rohan were, you know, 
walk going on their way to Helm's Deep, they come across this pack of wargs and then have this epic, not epic, but this this intense battle. And so, yeah, if, uh, Aragorn, of course, is kicking butt as Aragorn does. And then uh, get like he's tr- trying to pull one of the orcs off of the warg and he gets hit, like his gauntlet or something is stuck it's on caught, the caught, yeah, yeah he yeah. gets caught and then he gets dragged over this cliff and appears to everyone else in the story to have died uh and really the the only thing we get out of that is well i mean only we do get some things out of that we get more interaction with arwen and this whole discussion of hope, there is hope, which is something very important and central to the story. And that's a thing that I appreciate a lot. Uh, additionally, we get um, this vehicle for Aragorn then to have seen this army uh, as he's riding back. You know, especially the since they've, comes... sorry, especially since they cut so many characters right, from yeah. the book already. Right. right. Uh, and that's how he warns the people of the people at Helm's Deep when he returns there and thirdly the thing we get out of it is one of my favorite shots of the entire movie and that's aragorn like coming through like pushing those doorways open and then there's this light shining behind him and it's like you know yeah aragorn's here at you know at the at a very uh down moment for i'm here for the fight (laughs) right yeah aragorn's here for the fight indeed uh and that's a it's a great shot and again like if you love aragorn's character you love you love moments like that but i just you know i the first time that i saw the movie and that happened seriously i I was sitting in the theater i was like come on feels like now that are you kidding me now that I've read the book and have seen this movie again, it feels like padding for time for the most part. Because I'm trying to think of necessarily, like, well, it, again, it's it's it, they're trying to a lot of the problem seems to be them trying to add tension to the story, mm-hmm. and it feels unnecessary tension. And, and and that's definitely what it is because they uh, say in one of the commentaries, which I just watched the heck out of all of them when I was a kid. Uh, that the reason why they added that attack is because they needed something to sustain the middle of the movie. Now, ironically, mm-hmm. in the book, what sustains the middle of the book is the Battle of Helm's Deep. Yeah, I mean it's but, the classic. Know, they turned that to the end. I mean, you look at any movie, any any movie of this ilk before it, they all have this sort of thing. Um, some do it better than others. Like I will say, for example, the Avengers as an example, where mm-hmm. there's this middle battle where the Hulk hulks out, and then Iron Man and Captain America are off making sure the hell the helipad stays in the air you know yeah, yeah that's another example like that's just you could point to billion movies that have done this i just feel mm-hmm. like a lot of them have done it more successfully yeah and see and you know like i said this it's it's not a huge issue for me because again i've you know as i explained what we get out of that moment i think are important bits to carry the plot of the film uh i just it it, it didn't really sit well with me uh, for a very long time. I wonder. I wonder if you move the movie, like just move some scenes, or cut that part out, and replace it with the int stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, what if you took the part where the ints are, are going after Isengard? What if you put that there? Because I don't actually think it's necessarily <laughs> important to have happened at the exact same time as Helm's Deep. Oh, I else. do though, because, because that do? is so powerful. Well, they. Uh, 
There are two things about that. One, they remove they remove the horns so they don't come in and like save the day at Helm's Deep anymore. That's true, that doesn't yeah. happen. Yeah. Instead, the only thing that saves Helm's Deep is Gandalf coming in with, and it was a king whose name I can't remember, who was like from the east. Uh, in the book, instead, in the movie, it's Aomer who has been exiled the entire time rather than just partially. Right. Uh, you know, in the beginning. Um, so the horns aren't there, but the reason why they attack Helm's or they uh, attack Isengard when they do, is it's because when all of Saruman's protection is gone. Yeah. But I'm saying the army would already be moving out, and that's when they've attacked. Well, they would still be too close. Yeah. I don't, I don't really think I mean, I don't it. necessarily think it's like... A, 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 that would be like... I feel like I'm arguing... I feel like I'm like trying to push peanuts around or something like that like <laughs> yeah. it's not like it's not like the biggest of concerns to me because mm-hmm. that scene that those that, that scene in the middle like is kind of problematic but it's not nearly as bad as the faramir stuff and it's it, definitely yeah. not as bad as stuff i will be bringing up in return of the king yeah. like so. i said yeah not as bad as the faramir stuff and it does lead to uh things that i appreciate yeah. quite a bit so yeah it's definitely um, a lot better than the extended version of the two towers which is a lot of fat yeah. <laughs> and w- while we're at it uh I would like to discuss um, the alterations that were made to the actual Battle of Helm's Deep because I believe, uh, which some people may consider to to be blasphemy, uh, that they were successful and 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 I appreciated them. I liked them in the movie. I I am a fan of the elves coming to Helm's Deep. I'm a fan. I, sorry, I am. I uh, I like that Gandalf leads this group of what 300 or whatever Rohirrim with uh with Amir I like that it's that it's it's this group and you know because again streamlining the movie and also giving more weight and body to these characters so that we can get you know know them a little more and and get more out of them well and also the big difference between the reason why also that is justified within the movie is visually speaking the the What's the capital? What's the capital of Rohan again? Where the Edoras? Go- the group that's coming out of Edoras since Wormtongue and stuff had like exiled the people who seem to be actually be able to like properly fight. Mm-hmm. They looked so much more ragtag. Yeah, the the group in Helm's Deep. So you almost re- you did really. It seemed because of all the changes that already made. It seemed like necessary to have like, oh, they probably could not get anywhere in this battle if it wasn't for these elves at least come well, in and help slightly what i do and find interesting about this though is that they have the elf who comes and like leads this army is haldir and i believe that haldir says lord elrond you know sends his greetings or something like that but haldir is from lorien not from rivendell and i think it would actually make more sense if it were uh an elf from rivendell because elrond and aragorn are blood relatives yeah mm-hmm. You know, it would kind of be like um, it, it, it could tie into the fealty of like Elrond acknowledging and protecting the legacy of his brother. <laughs> I will say this, though, coming back to something that, that just hit me when as somebody maybe that's a little aspect of. Um, I don't know. I was thinking about people who have not read the book. Oh. don't know <laughs> this stuff, maybe. But to be well, fair, Elrond is in the previous movie so it doesn't really and in this movie so but my my main appreciation for the elves coming to helm's deep is again it's echoing the last alliance that really is you know from 
from the the Akalabeth, um, that's the last alliance of men and elves in, in, in the canon. In the movie canon, I really do appreciate it because that's, again, a theme that is uh, very s- strong that we've discussed before. Of like, Especially, you know, in, in the book, we get it with uh, the friendship that develops between Gimli and Legolas. Um, that, you know, uh, we can foster connections between our people and be more successful. And this is just a much larger scale of that. Additionally, I like that even though this great host of elves comes to, to help at the Battle of Helm's Deep, it's still not enough. Yes, and, yes. And, and then the Rohirrim uh, comes and kind of saves the day at the, at, at the last moment with Gandalf. Um, it's a super so I, I, I desperate think, battle. I was just gonna say we also get a really lovely like martial elf theme, <laughs> like yes. music. Yes, I we, and we were all saying how you know, two towers is one of our. I, it's it's the Rohan stuff. It's the it's that, that the Rohan, Rohan theme is, so is wonderful, and yeah, that uh, that sort of elf march theme is really great. I mean, again, I I can't pick only one favorite theme from oh, this and the march because the I think they're all yeah the march of the ends. March ends stuff so good. Yeah, so but, great. And apparently it, I'm alone in it this. It took the it took the kind of ethereal music of Lorien that we had from the first movie and and instead made it very like regimented and martial and yes. you know like st- strong rather than strong. kind of ethereal and it worked just really well. It did. I'm yeah. I'm alone in this one, but out of all of their end songs in the credits, this one had my favorite. Gollum song. I love yeah. Gollum song. Yeah. It's really sad and really dark. And really haunting. Really haunting. Mm-hmm. It's great. Mm-hmm. Um, Annie Lennox's song at the end of Return of the King is amazing. That just turns me to a puddle of uh, yeah. w- weeping every of time. Silver glass. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> a Gollum song really more more like haunts me. I mean, it, I... I tear up don't getting, get me wrong I know it's not that I don't cry it's that it's just haunting and disturbing I hope people are getting insights into our characters yeah. <laughs> and to read this because also another thing I wanted to say my favorite one of my favorite things this movie is Brad Dourif has, yes. has green worm tongue oh yeah no perfect green worm tongue has ever been just born <laughs> so slimy and nasty yeah, he, yeah, he's he was fantastic. Perfectly cast. There's so much great casting that only like starts to come to the fore in this movie. Uh, you know, Brad Dourif, Bernard Hill as Theoden, Miranda Otto as Awen, Carl Urban as Aomer. Like mm-hmm. a lot of great people are. Andy Serkis. Uh, Andy Serkis. Yeah. Uh, Bernard Hill. Who? Can we? Yeah, just that that kind of speech <laughs> that he's giving or, oh, as, yeah. as as as. Uh, Gambling is kind of arming him in this back room at Helm's Deep as they're deciding. Uh, I, I believe it's after it's is it before? Yeah, it's before Aragorn arrives and uh, um, Theoden is questioning his, the choice that he's made, you know, say, you know, and, and Gambling says, you know, they'll follow you, my lord, you're their king. And and Theoden's like, yeah, and I'm leading them to death. And it, I, I mean, it's much more eloquent and, and affecting, of course, in the film, but that. That speech is just delivered so well, and you totally believe that Bernard Hill is a warrior king. Well, something I really like that they handled with the Theoden character is we noted this that a lot of like he, whenever the spell of Saruman, I almost said Sauron, <laughs> Saruman uh, gets broken, he has these shift and change and becomes very heroic and all, all this stuff within basically a chapter or two. Yeah. 
I like in the movie they took what happens very quickly in the book and they they really stretched it out and not and not in a bad way. Mm-hmm. It was just it became character development that happens with the movie where he gets broken. He you see him and he looks like crap <laughs> and he looks um he's very tired looking. The spell gets broken and he's very sad and stressed his son's gone, but then he kind of comes back and it gets a little more confident and then it gets pulled back out like the rug gets pulled out from under him when Aragorn gets killed mm-hmm. in quotes. And then when he's doing that, basically throughout the battle, he gets more confident, more confident, more confident until Aragorn tells him right on to the east. Until fourth Aerlingas, which... Yes. Ugh. And then you get you really get to so, see King Theoden. Yeah. Like, really get to see him. Sorry. So before this happens, though, there's this bit where he's really kind of battle weary and he's you know saying like how many must die mm-hmm. and just the way he presents it <laughs> seems to me like the honestly like the most effective presentation of Macbeth I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. Not that the rest of not that the rest of a uh, Theoden is a Macbeth like character at all, but there's this moment where Bernard Hill kind of channels that world weariness that is really kind of baked into Macbeth in a, a way that I think is really, really effective. It's why you cast yeah. Bernard Hill. <laughs> I mean, right? There's a reason why he was mm-hmm. so good as the captain of the ta- Titanic in Titanic, mm-hmm. even though he's only in the movie for like a split second. Uh, yeah, only for like a little while. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, that that whole bit, and of course, leading forward to that charge, fourth Aer Lingus is like, I, I, it's one of my favorite moments from the book, and I think it translated to screen so well. Uh, I adored it. And it and again that that's at this point in the film where everything is happening. You have this great the charge that Theoden leads with Aragorn and, and Legolas. And then you have the Ents uh sacking Isengard. And then you have the Ro- the Rohirrim appear with, with Gandalf. And it's just this hugely emotional like yeah, and Bombardment. the culmination of all of this, I think, for me, you know, there are things that succeed in the film and there are things that don't succeed, like, mm-hmm. you know, the warg attack, unnecessary, the character assassination of Faramir, regrettable. But what definitely does not fail for me in the slightest is just the richness of the production design. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's a it's a dirty kind of grind. I love how dirty this movie is. <laughs> Everything looks like well, it's but, you know, super like, dirty, they, but they, it's great. They built Eterus and like the way that they yeah. envisioned Helm's Deep. It's like a believable fortress. And the way that they like implemented the Hornburg where it's like a horn that's actually built into the the rock the fortress yeah. is mm-hmm. silly and I love it. Um, and the like, Gimli blows it and then all this dust, dust falls, falls out. Like, it's kind of a strange moment, but I, I, I really like it. Um, yeah, it's just, it's so beautiful, everything that we see. And it only gets better in the next movie because I'm obsessed and will never stop being obsessed with their their design for Minas Tirith. Uh, we're gonna have we're gonna uh, have so much fun. <laughs> I almost want to say it's interesting, like you could almost make this I'm about to throw out some like okay, this is some really nerdy, so I'm just gonna say it. <laughs> it's almost like increasing contrast on a picture. Whereas the first movie is a little, it's like, it's hazy in a way Mm -hmm. because there's it like the first movie is more kind of ethereal and more like a fantasy story than the rest of them. 
But then the second one is like this, like in between. It's getting sharper. It's getting sharper, and mm-hmm. the contrast. And then, and then I just this is my how I remember Return of the King. I remember Return of the King being like just hyper sharp, like super contrast, like a lot more colors dif- differentiated by dark and and light. Mm-hmm. Whereas this one's still a little muddy, but it, but it adds to it, especially in the end when you have. Gandalf glowing at the yes. top of the hill coming down. You also forgot within that scene, or not really forgot, but like the glue that holds them together is this amazing monologue from Sam, which is not it's like it's like a it's like a amalgamation of things in the book that Sam would say. Yeah. But it really hits you on a personal level. It, it does because again, we've built this huge emotional tension that's all, you know, we, we're just getting beat in, in the face with all these great, great moments at the climax of this film. And then we come to Frodo and Sam who have been, you know, un- again, the unfortunate assassination of Faramir's character um, are, you know, they're hopeless. And Frodo has this moment of weakness that again was transposed from a different part in the book, but uh, willingly going towards the witch King of Angmar and Sam saves him and then gives him, gives us this great, great summation of one of the central themes of the entire book and the entire movie. And it's that there's, there's still hope. There are still things to worth, worth, worth fighting for. And that's what we have to do. Oh my God. And there's I mean, so- if, if, if you don't cry, I'm sorry, you have no heart. That gets me every time. <laughs> Just the part where he's talking about fo- folks in those stories don't yeah. know what, like, yep, yep, yep. Like that stuff gets to me. Um, and then just when he says there's some good left in this world and it's worth fighting for, it's just like, oh, all. Mm. Yep. I, I, I weep every time. And how they're <sighs> not even, like, supposed to be there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So while we could talk about this movie for at least the running length of the movie, <laughs> if not longer, we do have a time limit we need to stick to. So this feels like a good time to transition away from critical discussion of the movie and uh, touch upon our favorites. Unless you have any last things you absolutely have to say first. Uh, I've said everything I wanted to, like, I've, I've commented on everything I wanted to comment on. So. I feel like I've already said my absolute favorite thing. So I'm going to say... My second favorite thing. Wait, what was your absolute favorite? Was it the end? It was. It was no. It was the scene where uh, Sam gives oh. his big his monologue. Okay, like yeah. that is my absolute favorite thing that has stuck with me for fourteen years, whatever. <laughs> how long this movie's been out? Uh, but but I'll just say my favorite, my other favorite thing that we've not talked about, but I'm just going to reference slightly is the opening it is so damn metal. It's it, it's <laughs> almost how metal it was in my brain. <laughs> Where Yeah, it's Gandalf fighting the Balrog. Yeah. And, uh, that's... and Katie's Katie's favorite moment is clearly going to be uh, the reveal of Shadow Facts. How did you know? <laughs> OK, well, see, that's yeah, that's the thing. I mean. Duh, it wouldn't I wouldn't be me if I didn't say that Shadowfax is my favorite part of this movie cuz honestly like uh the, like the Shadowfax as Shadowfax, yes, great. But also like the horse that played him in in the movies was he was he was really something uh and perfect. 
couldn't have asked for a better casting for Shadow Facts. That, that but, horse looked like it was like Shadow Facts, thinking like Shadow Facts. Where yeah. You don't call that horse a good horse. That horse calls you a good person. Exa- yep. That horse deigns <laughs> to allow. Like that, that horse passes judgment upon <laughs> that, you. Yes. And uh, and Gandalf just the like is, Just is, like is Shadow Facts. Yeah. Shadow uh, oh, Facts that was another allows thing. you to ride him, and as a result, you won't be bucked off. Exactly. exactly. Uh, we, we didn't really touch on the re- reveal of Gandalf the White, but I mean, I think it goes without saying. That's one of my favorite things. Um, but actually, I have a very specific shot. I mean, I've already made reference to a couple shots that I really like in this movie, like m- mainly being that one of Aragorn, like uh, pushing through those doors. Um, but another of my really favorite ones is it's when Merry and Pippin... Uh, so as Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli are kind of tracking them, and we get this great intercut of Aragorn doing his ranger thing and tracking the hobbits uh, when they believe them to have been burned in this orc pile. And then we get that cut in with uh, as how Merry and Pippin experience this. And it's when the Rohirrim come in and attack the orcs. And there's this beautiful, beautiful shot of uh, one of the riders just flat out galloping across the screen and he draws his bow and like turns and lets his arrow fly and it's just so graceful and shows such skill that um i i I just appreciated it so much because again like i can relate to several uh different groups of people within middle earth and uh the rohirrim are definitely one of them and i think that was uh, such a great shot and really embodied the Rohirrim. I was one of those super trained New Zealand horse people yep. that, that came <laughs> in for that shot. Yeah. Yeah. For me, um, it's very specific. It's the musical key during fourth Erlingas. It has this amazing, um, like boy soprano soloist who's, you know, like 13 or something. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've ever heard boys choirs live or anything, but it's just like, not that I'm in favor of like castrati or reviving that weird, weird part of our history, but like the prepubescent male voice is just this incredibly beautiful thing. And uh, there's just such a powerful, powerful theme that uses it during Fourth Aeolingas. And I just... I've mm-hmm. not ever been able to get that out of my head. I used to listen to it on repeat all the time. Yeah, it's pretty great. I mean, that's been the strength of all these movies has been the music. And I know for a fact that that does not end with Return of the... I mean, Return of the King is just as good oh, as all the other ones before that. We get another of my favorite themes uh, in Return of the King score. Oh, so. already, already <laughs> I know. But, oh, I, but, no shot. but we have to I wait. Know. We have to wait for a long time to talk about it. <laughs> I mean, the... I already said it in there. Right? Yep. So, yeah. Well, anything uh, outside of the, outside of the world of Tolkien to suggest? I got nothing this week. I'm sorry. I've been, uh, yeah. I, I've, I was like crazy busy this week, so yeah. I haven't been able to do like anything. I need to do laundry. That's how. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I'm, that's my goal for tomorrow is just laundry. <laughs> uh, the only thing I've got is a, a game I've been looking forward to for few years now came out and it's exhilarating and exciting and i've been very pleased with it. it's called overwatch mm-hmm. um it's something i'm looking forward to it's hard to really explain what it is it's like a it's if you've ever heard of this game called team fortress 2 it's a lot like that basically it's a class-based first person shooter but all the characters are really well thought out and adorable some of them are adorable some of them are interesting um 
but it's just this like character based uh, competitive game. Almost reminds me of Split. Not even actually playing the game. It reminds me more of Splatoon than anything else. But what what's just great about it is there's like a narrative wrapped up around it that's really interesting about like how these guys used to do this big man i'm 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 sounding confused and it's just because it's just a it's just a multiplayer first person shooter game but Mm -hmm. there's a lot of just great character stuff like there's a tank character who's a who's a who's a like teenage girl who plays video games who's like jumping into a mech (laughs) and the mech is got rabbits painted on it and then there's like uh, a british scout who like runs up ahead and she's this very perky hyperactive British woman and then there's like a a cowboy who does cowboy things <laughs> and there's a giant ape who's a scientist and who sounds very prim and proper and does scientist I don't know it's like it's like it's like a lot of like cartoons I grew up with but in a video game and it makes me happy and for me it's just something simple and a little selfish um I made a <laughs> very very poorly executed random name generator to create a name for myself for my dungeons and dragons campaign that i'm doing right now oh nice. uh, my name is akatai ursa thank you for <laughs> um, it's so stupid and it gives the stupidest names and i keep reloading it and just laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing and i like shared it with my coworkers, and they keep sending me their favorites so uh listeners out there do me a favor and go to johnvox.com slash dnd that's johnvox com slash d n as in nancy d uh share share your favorites with me I, uh they're just this. they make me laugh and it Man, makes I, me proud that something i i wish you so would silly. i don't know i wish you would i wish you had made that name generator when i was trying to pick out names for my characters you should be because, like your character like, legally changed their name I, I could do that because we i just started a campaign like a couple weeks ago and ended up i mean the, the, their names are okay but they're not like ridiculous which as i mean as we know if your name's not ridiculous you, you fail yeah it's better than me my <laughs> my character names and anything like that are just based off wonder woman characters yeah. so i mean i've had a character named diana go through every single dark souls game <laughs> and bloodborne since i got so <laughs> And with that, I think it's time to wrap up. So, Katie, you want to take us off? Yes. So, once again, before we leave, uh, we would like to give a thank you to our Patreon supporters. We really do appreciate every uh, dollar and cent that you send our way. It helps us to uh, purchase new equipment when we need it, purchase new software when we need it, and also maintain our website. So, thank you so, so much to our supporters, Devin Mann, Ariel Alm, Brian Osborne, Anna Dunlany, Kyle Thompson, Michael Smith, Mike Williams, Jacob Verma, Madison Roberts, Aaron Crawford, Benjamin John Macy, Avon McMaster, Micah, and Ben Fuzz Goldstein. That list is getting longer and it makes me so happy. I know. It's like I, I, I am giddy that people enjoy our podcast so much to want to support us. And I hope Ben's happy that I referenced uh, Overwatch finally because <laughs> he and I were talking about it a little bit on Facebook. Well, there you go. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Uh, join us next week where we will uh, where we will be discussing chapter one of book one of The Return of the King. Oh, my God. I'm afraid I don't actually have I'm afraid I don't actually have the book in front of me, so I don't know the book title or the chapter title, but you should be able to figure out which is the first chapter it's, of Return <laughs> of the King. 
it's the it's the not choices of Samwise. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the the results of Samwise I, I do know enough that it's like ten chapters until we get back to Sam and Frodo. Because mm-hmm. I had to do the whole like figuring how our chapter stuff's going to be up for the rest of the season. Um, it, it it's going to go back to. I may well, we'll save that. that for next yeah. week. Yeah, we'll start. We'll, we'll get on that next week. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. I'm John. I'm Katie. And I'm Chase. And that was Siri. That was Siri. Have she a- wanted to say hi. <laughs> All right. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for listening to Talking Tolkien. You can find us online at TalkingTolkien.com, and you can send us an email to the professor at TalkingTolkien.com. We do our best to respond to each email, so please let us know about your thoughts, theories, and themes you'd like us to discuss in the show. We are also Talking Tolkien on Facebook and Twitter, and we love hearing from you. If you're not already a subscriber, you can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. We would particularly appreciate it if you would give us a rating on iTunes, as it really helps us to show up in searches and reach a new audience. We also have a Patreon page, where you can donate as little as $1 per month to help our podcast grow. Through your generous support, we've been able to purchase many new pieces of equipment, helping us bring you a better-sounding, more professional podcast. Nothing makes us more excited than a new pledge, and we greatly appreciate all the support we've received so far. Um, hey, John, <sighs> what happens when you mix corn and brie into ice cream? Man, you have a delicious meal dessert snack. This is back to that concept I've always wanted to see, which was the cornbread batter ice cream. I'm so jealous. Oh, man, cornbread batter is my favorite. Yeah. So John, don't don't eat raw, ba- raw batter, kids. It's not good for you. No, can't wreck. <laughs> I can't say that it is healthy for you but i can't not recommend it i know all right all right let me quickly pull up my calendar uh oh wow okay hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of talking tolkien today we are going